In this episode, we chat with Caleb Klein, an impressive, relatively new ultra cyclist with an inspiring backstory. Caleb is a graduate of the prestigious West Point U.S. Military Academy and served in the U.S. Army for nine years, three months, and 20 days. After suffering injuries in the line of duty, Caleb kept pushing the boundaries as a disabled veteran, motivated to not let his circumstances interfere with his potential. Since receiving his first trike bicycle, Caleb has been able to compete in ultracycling events from the NCOM 375 in Texas to the Silver State 508 in Nevada. Most recently, Caleb won first place in the 24-hour trike category at the Virtual World Time Trial Championships, completing 375.10 miles. Caleb's story is sure to make you reconsider what's possible in your own life. I'm your host, Justin Tu. Let's roll. Hey, Ultra Family, Justin Tu here, your host today of the Ultra Cycling Show. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode with a very special guest, a U.S. Army veteran. He was an infantry officer for nine years, three months, and 20 days. He was a West Point graduate and also a participant in the recent 24-hour World Time Trial Championships and also the Silver State 508 and the NCOM 375. It's the one and only Caleb Klein. Thanks for joining me again on the show, Caleb. Good morning. I'm glad to be here. Had a lot of fun with our sprint round event recap for the World Time Trial Championships recently. For those who haven't checked that episode out, I'd highly encourage that you watch that. But today we get to dive really deep into who Caleb Klein is, your backstory, how you became an ultra cyclist, and where the road is leading for you. But before we get into that, let's get started with a sprint round of questions, a series of fun questions to get to know you in a nutshell. And of course, the first question is, how long have you even been riding bicycles? I think for most of us, we all started as kids. Uh, I actually used to ride in the skate parks with my dad. Uh, when I was in seventh and eighth grade, we would go on a, a Saturday morning, load the bikes up and drive across town. And that's kind of what started my passion for bikes uh, in a nutshell. Uh, I even remember my first bike with training wheels was a Power Ranger bike. Wow, that's so cool. That's, that's a great way to start. How long have you been an ultra cyclist now? So I've been doing this for about six months. Uh, COVID actually allowed me to get a trike from the VA through recreational therapy because we were riding in a group setting at a park, but obviously that was not an option. And so I was out riding one day and I had just completed with uh, team Hoyt was doing basically a virtual run across America, but we could, we were also allowed to bike. And so we did a relay event and I only had to do, I want to say two miles a day, which for my personality, uh, I, I decided that was not enough. So I was running, then I started cycling and was out one day and decided I wonder if I could ride across America. This is something that I had always thought about and considered. And um, my my hopes and dreams of cycling at one point were gone, and we'll get into that. But as I found my love again for cycling and the ability to do so on my recumbent trike, 
I thought, I wonder if I could do this. Um, and so I hit Google and was ready to sign up for Race Across America with literally zero training uh, or any idea of what was ahead of me. And then found out I had to qualify. And that's how I ended up at the Silver State 508. Uh, yeah, it's a great progression. A lot of us uh, follow a similar kind of journey through our ultra cycling careers. Now, you mentioned your recumbent trike. I wanted to show a couple photos to give folks an idea of what that is as we get rolling here. And, and the next question is, how many bicycles do you own? Is it just the single trike that you currently own? Currently, yes. Um, actually, and what I'm very excited about is at the end of this month, a close friend of mine and the only other recumbent ultra tricyclist that I know Mark is going for the actual world record in person at Borrego Springs. And so since there's not many of us that actually ride trikes and do this in the ridiculous fashion of ultra distance, he, whatever he does will be the, the record, but uh, he did the 24 hour virtual with me and he had a couple issues uh, physically. He's very much more broken than I am. And, um, so he called it quits, uh, at about 250 miles, I want to say. Um, but I'm now going to go be his crew chief for his world record, uh, here at the end of the month. And then at the end of that, uh, I actually had, uh, the bike shop bent up cycles, make me some custom carbon front rims, uh, for my current trike. And so I'm going back there to get sized up for my next race machine, which will be fully carbon. And that will either be the Ice Trike VTX or the Bachetta. And I'm looking forward to having a second so that I can leave one on the trainer and have one for outdoors. Um, and that will also, actually my bike's currently at the shop because I had a mechanical issue on my long ride on Sunday. And so I would have rode today, but I only have one and I don't have it. So, Yeah, well, it's a great machine that you do have. And here it is on the trainer. Looks like you're doing some Zwifting there. Yes, I'm a big Zwift fan. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of fun. Now, here is Bad Boy. Nice setup. Looks comfortable and also dialed in it looks like it, you even have some disc brakes on there yes um performs very well for me cat trike 700 um i put a hed disc in the back and then i have a just a reflective vinyl cover on both sides um which comes in handy when i go into tech when they ask me where all my reflective tape is and i was like if you miss this back wheel we're already in trouble so <laughs> yeah true now, I saw there on your setup, you've obviously got a bicycle computer. Wondering what brand do you use? One of the popular ones, Garmin, of course. Wahoo's another one. I'm a big Garmin fan. And reason is I, I have all my products that I have are Garmin, and I wanted stuff that would easily communicate together. So Garmin Power Pedals, the Vector 3s, uh, the dual-sided. Uh, I have my watch as well, and that's how I screen a lot of my phone calls, text messages, emails while I'm riding. Um, also I get heart rate off my watch on my phone. Um, and then I use the, the 1080 uh, for two reasons. It's got the longest lasting battery life. And, um, I wanted something that was easy to see, especially because really none of our races are any shorter than a day, um, in 24 hours time. So 
when I did the 508, I actually hooked up the external battery pack in the back and allowed it to charge while I was still riding um, on my second day. Nice. Yeah. Got to have that long battery life. It's essential for ultra cycling. Gets challenging sometimes. Now, you were talking about your, your wheels earlier. I'm curious, what size tire do you use and what's your preferred tire pressure? So I'm actually at 25 millimeters uh, for a couple of reasons. Um, my old shop that I used to ride for, he recommended that we go with 25 millimeters because we're cutting down a little bit of weight and drag in the front. Uh, in the back, I would have gone wider um, up to 28, but they didn't have it when I went to buy the tire. So we matched it at 25, no big deal. Um, and I usually run about hundred PSI and I've learned the hard lesson of not making sure that I was at the correct tire pressure before I went out on a ride, uh, because changing a flat on this thing, especially in the back uh, is not fun. So I've become uh, quite a stickler for ensuring that I check before I take it out on the road every single time. Yeah, I can imagine, which reminds me, I actually have to check my rear tire. I've had a slow leak the last three or four uh, sessions that I've done outdoor. And fortunately, I have a good electric battery-powered pump, actually. And so it saved me a lot, but I do need to change that out myself. All right, Caleb, what gearing do you use on your trike? So this setup is a 10-speed. Uh, I am looking to upgrade that potentially to ETAP and either 11 or 12, depending on my spacing in the rear. Um, my next trike will be, it'll come 11 speed. And then whatever I decide to stick with, I'll stick with the same across the board. Um, I think Christoph made a great point in his podcast was whatever you have, it's easier to change when you've got, you know, issues with tires and things like that, or you need to swap rims just to swap the whole thing. And so keeping everything the same across the board will be ideal, especially in, as I get into these multi-day events, I don't want to have to figure out, well, I've, you know, made the wrong choice, bought this expensive wheel, but I can only put this on one bike and maybe I'm riding the other bike. So. Yeah, true. It does help a lot. We've had several guests on the show, including uh, Nancy and John Guth, who have similar setups between all of their bikes that they own together as a couple. And of course, Christoph Strasser, our co-host, he has two other interviews where I've interviewed him uh, individually, episode 37 and 49, for those who are interested in learning more. A lot of wisdom there, but of course, even in the episodes he does with his own guests, there's just so much experience and wisdom to garner, especially for those of us who are looking to do things like the Race Across America and, quite frankly, any ultra cycling event. Okay, Caleb, I'm wondering, do you have a coach? Do you train by time or distance? I do have a coach, Matt Hoffman. He seems to specialize in training those of us who are broken yet determined. Uh, he took the first and only hand cyclist across America in 2017, Andre. And uh, so when I actually, when I uh, failed to complete 508, Rob Panzera, who is the race director and was Matt Hoffman's crew chief for 2015, when he solo raced across America said, uh, you've got the grit and obviously you have the drive, but you don't really know what you don't know. And at that point I had been riding my trike for six weeks. Um, so he linked us up and we just kind of talked through. Uh, so we, he trains me via training peaks and, um, right now we're training for time. 
Um, whether that changes, obviously, I think will be up to him. Uh, before the last uh, virtual race, I I used his guidance generally, um, but he wasn't giving me anything specific. And so certain things I would go out, um, if I was going for distance, especially that being an indoor race, I did a lot of uh, indoor training. So, you know, I do a uh, hundred or 200 miles for time um, or 50 miles or FTP test, et cetera. So I did a lot of Zwifting, some full gas, just to make sure I was familiar with the program. And, um, but now we've transitioned. I'm looking forward as the weather gets nice back here in Vegas to get ba- getting back outside. And as much as I love the pain cave, I like seeing other things besides these race numbers and medals, et cetera, behind me. So, <laughs> yeah, sounds like a good training program and some good coaching and mentorship there. You did mention Las Vegas, so you do live here in the U.S., of course, in the state of Nevada. And I'm sure there's some good heat training out there during the summertime, especially for you. So we'll be all prepared for a lot of the weather conditions and extreme heats in the desert going through Arizona and in the beginning of Race Across the West and Race Across America. So, of course, uh, you have a power meter. You're training with that. You do an FTP test now and then. Do you know what your latest FTP number is and perhaps even your power to weight ratio, or maybe we could even calculate it? Yeah. So I'm a, I'm a heavier individual, 6'2", uh, race weight's about 205. My FTP right now, um, right before the 24-hour worlds was 275. Um, so I don't know whatever that math is because I just pedal hard until I'm done. Um, so I'm looking forward to getting back to doing another one. I've actually been working uh, with the shop owner from Reno who fixed my bike in the 508. We'll get to that story a little later on. Um, But he helps me with all my data interpretation. So my, obviously my biking seating position, et cetera, is a, a lot different than everybody else's. And so we've been working to dial that in specifically for me to manage efficiency, uh, power, and then trying to maintain a a good balance and pedal stroke to make them almost as identical as possible. So I will test again. Uh, I try to do it about once uh, every other month. Um, So just to kind of see a progression and go from there. Yeah, that's great. Definitely taking your training seriously, which is very important. Now, I did some calculations here. So you said you're about 205 pounds in kilograms. That's 92.9864. And your FTP is 275. So 275 divided by that 92 number, it's about a 2.96 kilograms uh, watts per kilogram. So that's a good number there. And I'm sure it'll only improve as you keep training and racing also. All right, Caleb, some of the fun questions First one, what's your favorite ride snack? What do you like eating on the bike when you're training or racing? I've uh, always gone back to the chocolate chip cliff bar. It consistently fills me up and and lasts a while. Um, I also like to munch on different candies to kind of just maintain a higher glucose level throughout, especially my ultra rides, um, whether that be Sour Patch Kids, Swedish Fish, uh, or something along those lines, Quick Burn. Um, also just kind of breaks up the monotony of eating cliff bars because after a while that gets a little old. Yeah, it definitely does. I've 
been a longtime Cliff Bar consumer myself in, in the early years, especially, have since switched, of course, like many to liquid hydration, those kinds of things. But it sounds like some good snacks you've got there. Now, coming to hydration, what do you like drinking when you're biking? So I use a product called Slay RX, uh, and especially the Diesel Plus, um, which has some caffeine infused in that. Uh, my old triathlon team that I was a part of in Georgia was sick of having athletes have issues with their stomachs and heat, uh, especially racing there in summer. And so we actually came up with a product and I am an ambassador for that. Uh, and so I, I really love that product. Um, they even have a, a smaller kind of energy shot that I use called the spark plug. Um, so those are, those are kind of my main fuels. I go, I alternate bottles one Slay RX, one water, and just to kind of maintain a good balance of hydration over really my training, my racing, and I found that to be pretty effective. Yeah, that's great. You got to find what works for you. It's very important. So how about after a nice long, hard ride or the, you know, the virtual world time trial championships you participated in, what's something that you look forward to eating afterwards, your favorite post-ride meal? Four by four animal style uh, from in and out is, is always my go-to. Slam as many calories as I can, uh, throw in a chocolate shake if I'm really being uh, adventurous. And, um, and then I also ate after uh, Worlds, I ate uh, a large Italian sub from Capriotti's, which is about 20 inches. So I, I know we asked, or you asked me how many calories I burned. I burned about 10,000 and in took, uh, took in about 10,000 during that race, but then I probably ate close to 10,000 after just to kind of rebuild. Uh, so I, I'm, my crew chief says this is basically an eating contest on wheels. And I think that's pretty accurate. <laughs> that's a good way to describe it. That's really funny. Yeah. The famous in and out burgers, of course, for those watching who aren't familiar with that, it's a really great chain of, uh, burgers, here in, I think, primarily the California, right? Yep, California, Vegas, Arizona. Um, it's basically all West Coast. Right, yeah. And so the 4x4, four four, describe what that is for those who don't know. So it's actually four patties stacked on top of each other, a layer of cheese in between, pickles, lettuce, tomato, and then the, the animal style is just a mix of their special sauce that they put on it. Uh, I think it's fried onions, Thousand Island, um, and a couple of other things. And so uh, I really just try to slam as many calories as possible, especially after a big race. Um, I'm not a huge person who worries as much about diet. I'm kind of the, the Michael Phelps uh, method, if you will, when, especially when he was training to get those eight gold medals. He was eating like 10,000 calories a day, really at that point, it's just what's going in is going out. And so I just need to eat as much as possible to kind of maintain energy production. Mm. Yeah. And sometimes it can be challenging to get so many calories in. Next question. Do you prefer climbs, descents, rollers, or flats? I'm a descent guy all the way. Uh, my trike is probably twice as heavy as everybody else's bike. And as Every person I think that I've listened to on this show, yourself included, I'm at least 50 to 75 pounds heavier than most of you guys. 
And so anytime it comes to going downhill, that becomes my favorite thing because my effort usually ceases and I just get to enjoy steering uh, and trying to catch up because I usually got dropped on the hills. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. So, I mean, are you pretty comfortable when it comes to like technical descents? I mean, to be able to bomb down them? Because I mean, just with being on the recumbent trike, I'm sure you could pick up quite a bit of speed with the aerodynamics. Of course, then with your added weight, I mean, you're really flying down there. Yeah, um, I try to train, well, that's my favorite part of, of any training, right? If, if I can find one big hill to just fly down, obviously you want to make that as long as possible um, just for the enjoyment and just kind of the thrill. It's like being a kid again. Um, so I would say so. As long as I got my front disc brakes dialed in, they slow me down enough. And um, I mean, I've definitely had some close calls and I've got some interesting videos from the 508 where I was really pushing that thing to the limit um, you know, some windy roads riding on both sides of the road. Um, and you almost have to drift that back wheel because obviously it's not steering itself. And so I'm almost leaning like I'm riding a motorcycle in some cases and, uh, you know, trying to scoot that back wheel around to, to get it to go where I want it to go. But, uh, at the end of the day, you know, breaking 50 miles an hour, which I did at NCOM a couple of times, uh, it was a little bit terrifying, but it was also a much needed break from the amount of climbing that we had to do. So, yeah, geez, I can imagine talking about motorcycle racing and another recumbent rider, not a trike, but the two wheeler, Jason Perez. He was in one of our first few episodes. He was a professional motorcycle racer before, so he really bombs down the descents, easily exceeds 60, 65 miles per hour. Now on that subject, do you know what your maximum speed that you hit was? Uh, at NCOM, I was just over 50, I want to say. And so um, I don't know, I think probably 51, 52. Usually I'm pretty consistently to hit over 40 on, depending on, on how big the descent is. Um, but that's pretty standard. Uh, I try to push it as much as possible again, because that's my favorite part. But uh other than that, you know, I look forward to a good downhill. Yeah, that's cool. It is a lot of fun. Got to be comfortable going down. Now, when it comes to seasons of the year, when do you enjoy riding the most during the fall, the winter, the spring, or the summertime? Spring and summer are kind of my bread and butter. I'm born and raised in Las Vegas. So, um, you know, I've acclimatized with what we call the, the thin desert blood. Um, so, you know, the hotter it is, I'm not scared to go out and ride. I honestly hate riding in the cold. Uh, you can always put on a bunch of clothes and stuff. But at the end of the day, you know, the ride I just did on, on Sunday um, started out in the 40s, which definitely isn't that bad. But I bundled up just because I'm pushing a lot of wind uh, on the trike. And then I ended up with uh, it, it warmed up really quick. And so about halfway through, I had to basically stop and strip all my, my cold gear off. Um, and by the time I got home, it was 65. So I probably could have planned a little better for that. I mean, I've done some rides in 20 degree weather. That's pretty miserable. Um, regardless of how much clothes you have on, it's never enough. So. Oh yeah. Yeah. Some of the challenges of ultra cycling, especially when you're riding, 
through the whole day or multiple days, what time of day do you prefer training? Morning, afternoon, evening? Uh, I'm a morning, afternoon for sure. I usually drop my kids off from school and then that's my, as soon as I do that, I'm either straight to the gym for weights, um, body weight, whatever I'm doing uh, via my coach, um, or I'm straight to riding and, you know, that'll be anywhere generally during the week between one to three hours. Um, you know, some, some days if I was going long, especially like when I did my 200 milers indoors, I would, I trade treated it just like, you know, I was doing the race. So I started usually about 5 30 AM, uh, or six. And I rode basically 12 hours nonstop, um, until the evening. If I'm doing a hundred miler, especially for time, I can usually get that, uh, right around, um, the five hour mark or a little below like 445 is my, um, is my best. So I can do that in the morning and then get to the office. Nice. Wow. That's great. Now you did mention some power training, strength training. See here. Yeah. So what's cool. My, my wife does CrossFit every day, actually. Um, come from a, I would say my, my kids better be athletes. Let's put it that way. My wife actually, uh, skates, for the golden Knights ice crew. So that's our hockey team out here. She skated unbeknownst to me before I met her from age two to 14. And so our, let's say our, our first date, which was ice skating again, I had no idea that she had done that. Um, basically semi-professionally, it seemed like when she showed up and I had broken hockey skates that I had rented and she had her custom, you know, $2,000 boots, blah, blah, blah. Um, and, and she also does CrossFit basically five or six days a week. So every Saturday I go to CrossFit with her um, and that may increase depending on training. Um, but I've been focusing a lot on just body weight stuff or um, just things that uh, kind of trying to isolate, you know, core mobility um, strength in areas that I may have some weaknesses in. And um, that way I don't end up injuring myself in this training process because Again, my, my personality is I'm going to go and I'm going to try to do, you know, be professional at whatever I do. And that's obviously probably not always the wisest or um, realistic as we learned at the Silver State 508. So, yeah, yeah, take some getting used to experience, but it's great that you have all of those skills, mindset, physical ability and commitment to be successful. Now you mentioned your wife and your family. Here's two great photos. Here's one. Yeah, that was uh, actually my, my last day in command. I, I swapped over my, my wife actually had moved back to Las Vegas. So I was in Georgia. Uh, we were there for a while as a family and I was going through the medical discharge process. And so my wife and two girls moved back and what I was told was going to be quick. Ironically, obviously I should have known better because nothing in the government is fast. So three months turned into nine months. Um, so they came back for my change of command and I was in command for about 14 months, uh, their basic training. And so that was probably one of the last days that I had shaved. And obviously I haven't shaved since. So my, my family came down and, you know, we enjoyed that time. Um, and, and now I, I try to, as much as possible, make riding a family affair. Um, my two daughters, my youngest rides a, a balance bike 
and my oldest just transitioned about um right around Christmas to um, a bike with pedals and she had been riding her balance bike for about a year and that took probably about 10 minutes for her to figure that out and she was off to the races we were around the neighborhood that same day we rode to the park which was a mile and a half away with hills up and down um, and she is loving it so it it's nice to for me to kind of bond with her in that way uh, and the, you'll see another picture in there, um, probably one of the, the longer ones or near the bottom. All the kids in, in the the three neighbors that we have, they're all out riding yesterday. Um, and I actually created a little race course for them as little as, um, go, yeah, right there. So all six of them were out there, helmets on. I'm, I'm always a big helmet fan. My Actually, my old coach who was wearing a helmet and it probably saved your life. Um, she fell and got a, a massive concussion and it's taken her over a year to get through that. But all of them, even that littlest one on the balance bike, um, I pulled my, my youngest is in the burly behind me. And, um, then my, my oldest right there on her orange bike. And my wife has, my wife has a recumbent, uh, as well, not nearly the race machine that mine is. Um, she is, ha she had a back surgery while I was active duty and that's my youngest right there. So we, we try to ride um, a couple times a week, uh, especially to the park. And uh, my oldest actually wants to show off and ride her bike to school to show all her friends because I pull them to school in the burly quite often, uh, especially as the weather gets nicer. So and that is all of us. Uh, my service dog striker there on the right. He's a golden doodle. That's so cool. Yeah, a lot of a lot of great photos, Caleb, and good adventures. It's cool that you're able to do it with not just only your kids, but also the kids in your neighborhood. I'm sure they'll all grow up with a lot of crazy ideas, just like you. And perhaps one of you on the show. <laughs> yeah, I bet you your both your daughters are going to be amazing athletes, just like yourself and your wife. And that's a really great way. Uh, for you to be able to influence them. So well done. Now, kind of getting back to some of our questions here, just wondering, Caleb, do you think now in your, I guess, short amount of time as an ultra cyclist, you've learned a lot. When it comes to the physical and mental training, what do you think? Does ultra cycling require more physical or mental training and strength? I think it's a balance of both. So you absolutely, you know, if you don't have the physical I don't think any amount of mental is going to get you there. So obviously you can't have one without the other. However, I would say, um, my, and my coach says, I'd rather have you undertrained. Um, and obviously with grit, I think you can get through that. So I'd rather have you, you know, 20% overtrained or excuse me, 20% undertrained than 2% overtrained because you can show up overtrained to any event. And, you know, now you're got to, an injury or, you know, you end up bonking out at the end just because there's, there's no energy left or something along those lines. So, um, obviously, you know, yourself being an ultra cyclist and I would say in any physical event, yeah, I don't know if it's a perfect 50, 50 balance. I think it's dependent on the situation, um, depending on the rider, you know, some people could maybe do more with less, um, and they might be very physically, you know, capable and mentally weak or vice versa. But at the end of the day, you know, when you're tired, hungry, uh, and potentially cold and, and wet, 
that's when I think the mental comes in and that's probably going to get you through the more worse of times than, Hey, I, I'm very physically capable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well said, Caleb. It's very true. We can go a long way with our mental experience and also strength. But I like what you said about your coach about coming to a race uh, a little bit undertrained rather than overtrained. And I think that is important and it's a difficult thing to try to balance unless we have a good coach or mentor or somebody to kind of lead us and guide us and perhaps metrics to track and, you know, things to keep in mind. So thanks for sharing that with all of us. Now, in the few ultra cycling events that you have done, which has been your favorite one so far? Silver State 508 by far. Rob Panzera puts on an outstanding, outstanding uh, event. And so... I highly recommend that. Um, I am hoping that I'm able to do that again here in 2021. Um, I really enjoyed, well, one, I think the route is just second to none. Being a, being a, a Las Vegas native, I rode through places in Nevada that I didn't even know existed. Um, they, a majority of it's on what they call the loneliest road in America, and it is absolutely correct. Um, we did some massive climbs that I cannot really replicate here without really kind of traveling outside of the Las Vegas proper area. And so, you know, we climbed Geiger grade. And before that, I think my biggest climb that I had done was maybe a mile and a half or two miles. Um, and that climb seemed like it went on forever. But then again, the nice thing about that was, when I got to go downhill, I made up a lot of ground. So uh, I got to see a lot of kind of old Nevada. Um, and when I think of kind of these wild west type scenarios, that's very much what a lot of the rural Nevada is. And so I, I got to see places that I'd never seen and I've lived here, you know, my whole life. So um, the, the timing was excellent. The communication um you know, there, there was no surprises and he is by far, he's on my crew, um, right now, at potentially, uh, one of my two crew chiefs for race across the West coast. I talk with him, Matt Hoffman and the owner, Rich Staley from great basin bicycles out there, um, who really all three of them really kind of embody what ultra cycling is. Um, and so I'm, I'm very impressed with that event. Yeah, really good to have an excellent crew, but it sounds like a fun event that you did. And it's so true that in ultra cycling, one of the things that we all love, and I know especially, is the opportunity to be able to explore and go on adventures and even in our own backyards. And quite frankly, if it wasn't for cycling and ultra cycling, a lot of the area where I live here in the San Francisco Bay Area, you know, I would never have gone through. And, you know, even in a car, it's a totally different experience. And we all know that. And so I'm glad you're able to share those experiences as well. Now, I saw a couple of photos here. I was wondering which events they are for. There's this photo here, first of all. That's 508. Um, That's obviously, when, when I show up places, no one shows up on a trike. And when they do, they're very much, uh, I would say, not expected to do well. So before mm-hmm. I had my major mechanical failure, I was top 10, uh, which I wasn't expecting um by any means but i showed up and after 100 miles people wanted to race and so i was ready to race and uh maybe that was a bit of a rookie mistake i don't really know i don't think it caused my mechanical failure by any means 
Um, but I found that I, I fit in very well with the group of people that was there. Um, and I was a pleasant surprise. Again, I had trained for six months and to that point, excuse me, six weeks. Uh, and to that point, I hadn't ridden more than 145 miles cumulative, um, just from, uh, you know, time availability and, and things of that nature. Um, so when I showed up, I was really just rolling the dice uh, and was relying a lot on the mental, which never quit. My bike just decided at some point it did not want to roll. And we were at about 305 miles or something like that when that happened. So, Wow. Yeah. So you were a long ways into it. And well, I guess maybe your bike was trying to tell you that you need to ease, ease him into it. And uh, <laughs> that's, that's one rude awakening for a bicycle. Yeah, if you, if you actually, if you go back to the photos, there's one that looks like something's kind of hanging down by the rear wheel. Um, that was my chain. So uh, oh, go, up one? Uh, go left one more, um, right up above there on the right. So okay. at this point, yeah, you see my chain there. I basically put so much torque into that rear derailleur that I bent it backwards. Um, I did a, a hard shift, which I, I learned very quickly from my mechanic back at the shop. You need to soft pedal into those shifts while you're climbing. Um, and so that was uh, naivete on my part. I had ridden not extensively, but I had never not kind of ridden that way. I just shifted when I needed to shift. Um, and so you can obviously see my rear derailleur is jacked. I also twisted the chain. And, um, so you see that link there closest to the, the rear, uh, the, the cassette is, it was, it was destroyed. And so that was at 175 miles at that point, I think I was in ninth or 10th and well on pace. Granted, there was no recumbent records again. So, I mean, I was gonna, I was gonna set a record that like a regular cyclist would have been proud of, um, and not just a recumbent cyclist at that point. And, uh, so at that point I called Rob Panzera and I just said, I don't know what to do. Um, I, I had no real mechanic with me. Um, I didn't have the materials to fix it. And I just said, you know, uh, can we basically mark why I'm at on the map, drive back to Reno to the bike shop, get new chains and come back. And he said, hang on the bike shop owner. Rich was actually on the course doing a relay with his team and they came back through um, that checkpoint and basically NASCAR fixed my trike and had me roll in. I took them probably five or 10 minutes. He rebent my derailleur the other way, you know, relined everything up as best he could. Um, somehow there was an issue with the limiter screw. So I probably overshifted. Uh, and basically got the, the chain off the cassette or something along those lines and, and did a lot of, of damage to the trike. Um, they fixed it as best they could. And at that point I didn't, once everything got rolling, uh, that following morning, I did another 120, 130 ish miles, give or take before basically the bike seized up and, and refused to roll. So, mm. <laughs> Yeah, what what an experience. And it's cool to see the help that you got, a very heroic attempt. And of course, you were able to continue going for some time. And it's cool that you didn't just stop and call it quits 
and you were talking about you know having grit i think that is a part of it being able to keep going and roll with the punches so to speak so well done on that now when you think of ultra cycling caleb who pops into your mind so obviously your podcast has opened my eyes to many people that I didn't know, but I would say from my small circle of people that most people probably don't know, Matt Hoffman, my coach, single, uh, single attempt, solo Ram finisher, 2015. Um, very impressed by him and what he's done. He came from a cycle, uh, a racing background. Um, and did a lot of short work. He actually runs a nonprofit called Velo Youth in the San Diego area. And so they actually have an outdoor velodrome and it's right near the San Diego Zoo. And so I actually met him there um, when I was down there with my family. And um, it's really cool to see what he's doing in trying to get kind of the at-risk youth to get out there, ride, get, a, get on the, the bike and realize that there's, you know, maybe a different path for them. Um, again, I mentioned he took the only hand cyclist across America and I cannot imagine, I mean, my, you know, obviously legs are built, uh, I think feel like be destroyed. I cannot imagine somebody's upper body strength to hand cycle some of these climbs that, uh, I look forward to enduring. Uh, so Andre in 2017 went coast to coast and from my understanding is still the only hand cyclist. And from the way Matt puts it basically used this event as just kind of a stepping stone, a feather in his cap as he's gone to do more and more amazing things. And so one day I hope to look forward to actually meeting him. Um, Mark Whitehouse, who's about to go set the recumbent record. Um, before I met him, I thought I was a unicorn and there was nobody else like me out here that existed doing what I did. And I was glad to link up with him um, and, you know, get to know that, you know, I'm not alone in this process. Um, so I, I mean, I, those are the kind of the unknown people, I would say the unsung heroes of the ultra cycling community, obviously Christoph Strasser is a legend. Uh, and for all intensive purposes, you know, I think at some point, all of us looked up to Lance Armstrong, even though they're a little bit of a, a different type of, uh, ultra cycling. I think that he, paved the way for a lot of people and making things popular regardless of his ethical choices. And so, you know, I, I think his work ethic and things along, along those lines is something we can learn from. Yeah, most definitely. Well said. And of course you've mentioned Andre on several occasions. Here he is. I remember following him also Ram 2017. Just amazing to be able to do that with your legs. It's difficult enough. The cycling course. And I you know, this is endurance. So he's not massively bulky on the top, but at the same time, I guarantee that that bike probably weighs, you know, as almost as much as mine, if not more. Um, and you know, between, between my coach and I like to call Matt, um, I spend a lot of time while I'm racing, calling people it kind of takes my mind off of things. And, uh, again, I'm, I'm hand, almost hands-free, or at least I can do things with one hand because I'm on a trike that balances itself. So, um, the nice thing is, you know, I can just park on my, uh, my iPhone and I have my AirPods in usually just one. So obviously I can hear what's going on in the other ear around me and just give it commands. Hey, call this person, call this person. So I'll call Matt and we'll talk about his experiences or whatever I'm feeling at the moment. And he's like, 
you know, I'll talk about passing people on climbs. And he's like, yeah, when, when Andre would pass people, we would say over their uh, internal comms that, yeah, man, you just got gimped. And so that's kind of become a thing that I'd like to bring back. Um, and I'm hoping in Zwift that they actually put a recumbent trike option and a hand cycle option on there. Cause obviously right now I'm riding with just a regular roadie, but I would love to hear people's reactions uh, or read them on the screen when I zoom by them on a, a three wheeled bicycle and they're uh, suffering up a hill or something like that. So. Yeah, totally. It's cool that you're able to have fun with that and make the best of the situation. Of course you do have a disability. I wanted to get into that. You sent some of these interesting x-rays here two in particular you can take a look at this first one yeah so that that's my spot uh obviously not how it should look uh at least normally so interestingly enough and i didn't know this i rode a i rode a tt bike for a long time um and just tried to drive through the pain um because in the infantry especially if you go to a doctor you are very much seen you know here you're not necessarily killing your career depending on what the issue is. Um, but at that point, when I raised the red flag, I, it was a quality of life issue. I couldn't, I could barely sleep at night. I couldn't bathe my daughters. Um, you know, I, I could barely move in, in for all intensive purposes. And so I absolutely could not do my job. And once we finally got that imagery, they were like, Oh yeah, this makes a lot of sense why you're in so much pain. So I've got multiple curves in my spine. Obviously my hips are way off. So my left leg is shorter than my right leg um, for by about three quarters of an inch. And uh, so I actually have spacers underneath my left cleat. And um, so trying again, trying to figure out that balance piece of how do we have shorter muscle groups on one side balance with the longer muscle groups on the other side um, and skeletal issues and stuff like that. So um I attempted thinking if I get rid of the TT option, okay, I can't bend in half anymore, understood. Maybe I just go to a regular road bike. And so uh, if you go to the, the picture with the big flag in the honor ride, um, this was Veterans Day 2019 or 2018, excuse me. So I'd been fresh out of the army a couple months. And so I went to my shop and explained, you know, what I wanted to do. And I rented a bike trying to figure out, you know, I had sold my TT bike at that point and honestly kind of given up hopes and dreams of ever riding again. And so I rode and it was, and it was only 40 miles, which, you know, is kind of a joke now for the ultra cyclists. But at that time, that was a long way when I hadn't ridden in uh, over a year. And so I was like, well, if I rent this bike, it was an Argon, um, beautiful bike my body would not take it. And so the last half of the ride, literally the last 20 miles was basically all downhill. And if it was not, I would not have finished just because I physically could not pedal um, anymore. And so ironically, the guy who finished next to me was on a recumbent and he explained to me what I needed to do to get one through the VA and the guy who runs the recreational therapy program happened to be there at the event um, because there was probably 30 or 40, you know, there was a mix of hand cyclists, recumbent cyclists, et cetera, at the event. 
and uh, they, you know, they wanted to make sure that they were able to get out there and, you know, without having any issues, they transported a lot of the bikes in from the VA. And so once I got set up with them, I then was able to actually ride without pain. Uh, and Wounded Warrior Project also helped out with that. I did a soldier ride in San Diego, November of 18, and they reintroduced me to basically cycling and the ability to do so again, pain-free. And then I continue to work through the recreational therapy program. And in doing that, you know, I got my, my trike July the 6th. I'll never forget that day. It was almost like, um, like a kid getting their car for the first time. I felt, I felt a sense of freedom again, like, Hey, I'm going to be able to do this. And, um, obviously I, I rode that thing almost every day since I got that, um, in July, went right into 508 thinking I was going to go across the country. And again, quickly learned, I didn't know what I didn't know, but, uh, that's kind of my, been my initial journey. Um, you know, I've had some great times on TT bikes. I rode with Brett Favre at Bow Bikes Bama. Um, I raced through a half Ironman and my goal was eventually to go to Ironman, uh, world championships and actually be on the army Olympic team through the world-class athlete program. Uh, out in Colorado Springs where they take Olympic hopefuls and you basically become a recruiting tool for the army, but you're also able to compete in your sport uh, and continue to get paid while on active duty. And so that was my eventual goal until my back decided otherwise. Um, so now we're kind of looking at the Paralympics um, right now. There's not a recumbent option, um, but Stephen Peace, who is a Navy veteran, uh, a Naval Academy graduate, and I won't hold it against him as he is my cycling brother, but go Army, beat Navy always. So um, he's a disabled veteran himself, but he competes on a an upright trike. So basically two wheels in the back, one in the front on a, a BMC. And um, he's completed, you know, very highly at the national level, Paralympics, all kinds of, you know, things that fit within the UCI categories. And so I'm hoping with his help and help of other disabled veterans to allow us recumbent folks to get into the mix um, as my Olympic dreams have not died. They've just shifted. So, mm, yeah. Well, great story. Thanks for sharing that with us. I think it just reiterates the importance and the potential with mental grit when you have physical challenges that you have to deal with that there are other ways to be able to accomplish your goals and dreams as an ultra cyclist and quite frankly just as a human being and it's cool to hear your story and i'm sure it's very inspiring for your family for your kids to see just as you keep pushing the boundaries for what's possible and you you never give up and then of course i hope that everyone watching can find some inspiration from your story i know that for me it definitely challenges me to to see what is possible with my own life and you know my own challenges that I may face, whether it's just on a mental aspect or even physically. And of course, a lot of great photos here. Here's a nice one. Yeah, that was my last company that I pushed through. Uh, so obviously, we at that point, we were civilians to soldiers in 14 weeks um, and turning these young men into infantrymen. Uh, there's there's nothing like it. I will cherish these moments probably for the rest of my life. I have some big plaques in my office of 
you know, my, my company guide on, which is our flag and, you know, my, my drill sergeants, I, I hold them near and dear to my heart. And, uh, I still talk to several of them and different people that I worked with, um, to this day. And I've been out of the army, you know, about year and a half or so now. Um, and I still keep in close contact with a lot of those people. That was, as a really cool experience to see somebody, you know, they come in with the desire to be, you know, what you are. Um, and then you're able to kind of strip away the individual mindset and turn them into a team player and a, a lethal weapon, basically, and then leash the, unleash them out on the army. And, you know, within as soon as they left me, they could have ended up, you know, deploying and going to fight our nation's wars. And so ensuring that they were ready for that was it was a lot of pressure. But at the same time, it was a really cool honor and opportunity to create men uh, in a society, in my opinion, that seems a little soft and a little too politically correct. Mm. Yeah. Well, thanks for your service, of course, to the country and fighting for freedom. And it's very important. And of course, I'm glad that you are able to do something that you love and also continue to use it as a platform to inspire others. It's also challenge and grow yourself. It's very cool. And I love your story. Glad to be able to share it with others and also hear about it myself. So what would you say if you were to sum it up in, in a few words, what motivates and drives you now as a disabled veteran, as an ultra cyclist, and of course you have a lot uh, down the path that you would like to accomplish still a lot in your bucket list. Well, what is keeping you motivated? I think a couple of things, um, things that I never understood while I was active. Um, so, you know, we people PT or that we physically train, you know, five days a week at a minimum in the military. I think as much as that is for lethality and, you know, being prepared to fight in one of our nation's wars, it's also for mental health. And so I have a lot of mental health issues. Uh, my service dog, you've scrolled by him a couple of times, depression, suicidal ideations, anxiety, et cetera. Um, riding my bike, things are, you know, I can control that. I can control my cadence. I can control my effort. So that's my service dog striker. He was very young and he is on his namesake, a striker. Um, and I bring that up because I, I tell people that a striker broke me, the vehicle, uh, and some of the issues that I think were caused with my back. I was in a, an accident, um, that, you know, as we grit tells us to drive through and fight through the, the mission. And, and I appreciate that, but at the same time, we've got to have a balance. And so, uh, the striker broke me. And so striker, my dog will help fix me and, and kind of keep me grounded um, he's actually right here. Yeah, that's that's him with uh, his goggles and his earmuffs and his his harness. So if I go out and shoot guns, you know, I bring him along and he is fully protected, just like us humans are. So I try to incorporate him in everything I do. He's actually my brand um, on my logo for my shirt that you've seen throughout this process and a, a great talking point just to kind of normalize issues that people face veterans, especially I, I don't want there to be a stigma about talking about issues that, you know, people face on a daily basis. And especially in a world um, that it's not popular to have problems, uh, or it's hard to admit weakness, people need, you know, different help with different things. I'm happy to be people's poster boy, if you will, 
I've got issues. And for me to come out and, and say that it really was kind of a weight off of my chest to just be honest and take a mask off of, you know, I've always got to be this big badass soldier, you know, and, and ready to never have issues and never have problems. And, and that's very much the understanding of being an officer in the army. Um, especially in the infantry, you are not basically, it's almost an unspoken rule. You are not allowed to have problems. Uh, at least that is the stigma that is driven. And so if you come up and say that I do have issues, you know, everyone's kind of basically afraid that they don't want to lose their career over it. And so um, not that that's what caused me to, to get where I ended up. Um, but I think if I would have seen, if I would have sought uh, help, especially physically before uh, I got to the point where I was, you know, I, I might still be able to be, you know, active and, and it is what it is. And this is kind of my new platform to share, you know, why, what is my, my daily desire? I want to prove that I can still do the things that I wanted to do just in a different capacity. Um, that one of the pictures in there, my, my catchphrase is I am uniquely abled instead of disabled, I don't take that. Yes, I am a disabled veteran, but I, you know, I refuse to get disabled veterans license plates. Um, I don't want people to see me and think any differently of me. Um, so uh, Rusty Dogs of War has become our moniker for, so at Silver State 508, if you, or when you sign up, you have to basically come up with a, a totem is what they call it. And it has to be animal-based. Um, so my service dog is a rust color um war is just kind of obviously i'm i'm a war fighter by nature my crew chief um he's a, a one-armed one-legged navy veteran um that that's his vehicle and we have those magnetic signs made um, that striker and me at the gun range uh, with my ar-15 behind him and him in the window um but if you go see and this is kind of what keeps me motivated my crew chief's got less limbs than me and no excuses. Uh, and he, if you scroll down, you'll see him. That was at the finish line of the 508 with my infantry flag that goes with me to every finish line, regardless of whether I finish or not. Um, but, but Shane Walsh has been a, a big inspiration for me knowing. Um, so that that's my, my blue trike. That's the one that I got um, via wounded warrior project. And you can see, his left side and this was a uh, via motorcycle accident after he left the navy but when we were in uh texas i we were out there dialing in obviously we learned don't just show up with one trike because if i would have had a second trike even though that thing's not meant to race i could have potentially finished the 508 on that trike at least until i was able to get the yellow one fixed so you know don't show up with one um that's not one that i i ride to practice, compete, et cetera, but I'd rather have and not need. So um, getting him out there on that, it just reiterated and showed me like, hey, if I can do this with all my limbs and he's doing this without, you know, I, I think that uh, we can we can get through this. And so that that's my team. That's his wife on my left there. Uh, and this is at the, the start of the 508. Um, and so, you know, it's really just kind of, our, our hope and um, desire as we continue to go throughout the country, just to kind of create uh, an idea and understanding that no matter what you're, you're suffering through, your circumstances, et cetera, that doesn't have to be the end of your story. Um, and for mine, and I've chosen to make that really just kind of the beginning, you know, what can I do in my current state 
we'll find out. I don't want to put a limit on myself because I think at the end of the day, you know, you are your, your biggest advocate, um, but you're also your own limiting factor. If you decide you can't do something, then you can't. Uh, and if you decide that you can, then you will find a way to do it. And so that's really, it's taken me a while to understand that. Um, hey, I would say probably the first year or so um, me getting out was really just trying to get over like, you know, hey, I get a lot of attention because I walk around with a service dog. He's extremely cute. So, you know, people give, you know, they're petting him. They want to get all up in his face. And, and it used to bother me. And eventually I just realized he brings people as much joy as he helps me. I'm not going to stop that. But I also want to be out there to help other people when, you know, they're going through a tough time and it doesn't have to be identical to mine, but just to realize, you know, for me, again, if I can, if I look at somebody and I think this is common um, in people who, you know, they see somebody who maybe has it worse off than them and they think, oh, if that person can do it, then I can do it. And so that's just kind of been a lot of my philosophy. You know, I check in with my crew chief almost daily. And, you know, again, I see people like Andre who, He's got no excuse. He's got no legs. And he was like, all right, well, I'm just going to hand cycle my way across the country. If he can do it, I can do it. And so uh, just opening up people's mind, you know, being being your biggest fan. Um, and that's really, you know, and I, and I struggle with it every day. I'm not perfect at it by any means. And I don't want people to think that I've got it figured out because I don't. Mm -hmm. But I also know that I can control my cadence. I can control my wattage. And I can control how long I'm riding. And other than that, I just try to kind of leave everything where it is. And so that's really cycling has done that for me. It's kind of given me a semblance of control back over my life where maybe I thought that I had lost it and, you know, to kind of bring it full circle. So, yeah, well said. Well, you're definitely the definition of a role model, and I'm sure you've inspired many lives already, including, of course, your own two daughters, your family, those around you, and of course, now all of us. So we really appreciate you sharing your story. It reminds me of a motto that I've always lived by and also that I ride by, and it simply is, you know, don't let the things you can't do keep you from doing what you can do. And I think your story, Andre's, of course, many others, it's exactly that, that it is possible to do things which otherwise, you know, people may take for granted and think is just impossible. And being able to see somebody like you doing what you're doing, having already achieved incredible things, including participation in the virtual world time trial championships and just having that grit to keep pushing on in spite of your physical challenges and overcoming them. I think it's a great story. And for me, you know, in the show, what I love most about uh, meeting guests like you and all the other guests, it's not just the achievements and the races that are participated in and, you know, all those accolades, but really it's the story behind it. And I think that's what makes uh, the ultra cycling family so unique that there is so many stories just like yours and that all together we're able to show what is possible, uh, you know, humanly, physically, mentally. And so I must say, well done, congratulations. And of course, we do look forward to following your journey because it's just at the very beginning. There's still so much more to come. But in all these photos that we've seen, there's so many great stories and successes. And I did want to make sure we covered each photo. I know we've covered quite a lot of them already, but there was also this one. Was this from the 508? I see another rider here. I think that is the 508. Uh, 
you see me enjoying a, a nice downhill at that moment. Um, I don't remember who I was uh, riding with at that time. It looks like it could be uh, a guy by the name of Pink Flamingo, but I'm not for certain. Um, mm -hmm. But he actually rides for uh, a veteran organization, and he broke the over 70 record uh, at the 508. And and he's, you know, training and, and competing like, you know, he's a 30-year-old man. It's very impressive to see, especially at the 508, I think the median age was 55. So when I show up at 28 years old and I'm on the recumbent trike, people are like, who is this guy? He clearly doesn't know what he's doing. And, and they were a thousand percent correct. Um, but to see that, you know, this sport lasts, you know, well into the, the latter years of your life, it's very motivating for me when I see that. So, mm. yeah, and that's right. We didn't even discuss it. So when you were doing the 508, you were 28. How old are you now, Caleb? Uh, I'm still 28. So I'll be turning 29 here in July. Um, again, all basically every race that I've done has been within kind of the last six, seven months. So, um, my goal originally was to qualify for race across America and toe to line this summer. Um, again, I learned that I don't know what I don't know. And I think I was putting a little too much pressure on myself and I didn't have enough training time on the trike specifically. Um, and so that, that being said, we discussed it with my uh, crew and obviously I, I still haven't qualified. Um, so we said, Hey, maybe raw uh, race across the West is just a better idea because you still haven't done anything where you've even gone remotely close to a thousand miles. Um, and as we were discussing before, you know, this even got started, people don't know what race across America or race across the West coast is, especially here in the States. So if you do one or the other, they're going to be impressed. It doesn't really matter. Um, at the end of the day, you know, this, this is not the big money sport and I'm not in this, um, for that. And a lot of people ask me, why do you ride, you know, are you getting paid when you finish and, and win races? And like, no, I, I ride for myself. Um, and I ride to show others what they're capable of. And so, at the end of the day, you know, I, I think that raw will be a, a great eye opener for me again, learning process. Every race has been a learning process of what works and what doesn't work. Um, and so as we can then continue on, then I'll have another year to really kind of dial things in. Um, and you know, if I need to maybe make some bike changes or things along those lines, I, I don't want to rush the process because when I go toe to line, I want to finish. Um, I feel like I'm, I'm doing this for a lot more than myself. And so, you know, I don't want to not necessarily let people down, but not show a good, not have a good showing and a good performance um, because I'm not just racing for myself to get a record. I'm, I'm racing to show other people what they're capable of. And so I think that would be a waste to rush that process. Mm. Yeah, I think that's a great attribute of an ultra cyclist as well. Just, you know, patience, you know, it's almost like pacing yourself out. And it is very easy to get super excited and get into it. But like you said, being able to finish that and have a result that you're proud of, I think is another thing. And, you know, it is a whole journey. And even as you mentioned, you're not doing it for, you know, any of these other reasons that, a, you know, a traditional road racer may be, you know, competing. And it's really more about the journey and the, the growth and also the stories that you're able to share to inspire others. But I think all that you've already done, especially at 28 years of age, is very impressive. And like you mentioned, you know, the average ultra cyclist is much older. 
And so that means that there's a long road still ahead for you to be able to make your mark in ultra cycling and also continue to tell your amazing adventures and stories. So I'm looking forward to following that and, and cheering you on at the Race Across the West, also Race Across America. I know it'll happen in due timing. And it'll be cool to see. I'm sure your, even your kids and your wife will be there to cheer you on or perhaps even support you. And, and it's great that you have the family that is also active and very supportive. It makes a big difference, I'm sure. Here's another great photo, you and your daughters. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, before I left for uh, Silver State 508. Um, so we all have rusty dogs of war shirts and I got them small ones. And uh, so that's, you know, I, I very much want to include them when appropriate and when possible. Um, and so, you know, as of right now, I probably won't have them on the crew as of yet. Um, and I know my coach, Matt Hoffman, says that, especially on something like Race Across America thing, you know, it's, it's going to be an ugly process. You're going to get, you're going to reach mental points, physical points where you probably don't want your family to necessarily see that side. Uh, and so right now he's very much against having family on the crew. And, and I respect that. I'd rather they get to see me at the start with a smile on my face and at the finish with a smile on my face. Um, and, you know, throughout the journey on FaceTime, cause I always make it a point to try and put them to bed while I'm out on the course. Um, but as I learned at Incom 375, you may not always have cell phone signal. So <laughs> you, uh, you try to do that as best you can and, and figure things out. Um, but I, I try to make my family, you know, very much a part of my process. Um, I, I do a lot of training with them and, and pulling them. And if I can't maybe go a certain distance, maybe I truncate the distance, but do that, you know, with added weight and, and hit the hills. And both mm -hmm. of them plus the trailers probably about a little over a hundred pounds, you know, uh, I don't know if that is an exact, you know, correlation to, you know, drag coefficient, et cetera, of what that added, you know, pressure of wattage. Um, but I definitely notice a difference when I'm climbing a hill with them versus not. So, you know, it's, for me, it's trying to, they enjoy the bike and they, you know, they're still not too cool to hang out with dad and, you know, they want to participate in the activities and what I always try to do is finish the ride by ending at a park so that they can play. And then we'll, you know, finish, you know, a couple of miles and go home. So, um, trying to keep them engaged and entertained, you know, I, I have a portable Bluetooth speaker and we listen to whatever music they want to. And so I've, I've done some long rides listening to, to trolls and, uh, frozen and whatever else they request, just because I know if they're going to come along with it, they got to stay entertained. So. Yeah, that's so fun, though. And I'm sure that's doing so much good for them. And as they get older, their interests will definitely be aligned with the experiences that you've given them. So it's very exciting. Can't wait to also follow their journeys and see what starting lines they show up to one day. I'm sure they'll be just as crazy, if not crazier than you. <laughs> I hope so. Here's another cool photo you're talking about it earlier. Go Army, Beat Navy. Yeah. Uh, so like, like I said, I'm a West Point graduate. That's something that I hold near and dear to my heart. And I think that it very much shaped a lot of, you know, my, my mindset. Um, so that, you know, that's, that's our motto. That's been our motto since day one at basic training. And that will always be, you know, every year army Navy De December is for me, you know, obviously Christmas, but army Navy is every December. And uh, so I, I look forward to that rivalry and, and we'll continue for many years. So 
Yeah, most definitely. Now, for those who aren't familiar, are you referring to the football game? I am referring to the football game. Um, and so, obviously, when you're a cadet, you are mandated to go. And, and I always enjoyed that. We were either in uh, Philadelphia at uh, Lincoln Financial Field, um, where the Eagles play, or we did one game, uh, and they alternate usually uh, between there and uh, D.C. at the Redskins Stadium. Um this last year, they were actually at West Point because of COVID, and they only allowed cadets to be there. Um, and the last time that they played at West Point, I want to say it was in the 50s or 60s. And it was it was very cool to watch that and then hold them to uh, shut out the entire game. Um, the, the saying goes that you can lose every regular season game and win Army-Navy, and that would be a successful season. Um, however... I'm enjoying having a winning season and winning Army Navy uh, because during my time as a cadet at West Point, we lost a lot of games and we did not win Army Navy ever. So I look forward to seeing it in person, uh, hopefully here soon at the, if not this coming year, maybe the following year, because I'd like to bring my family along. Yeah, that sounds really cool. That'd be awesome. Yeah, it was fun to have a little fun and friendly competition, even as an ultra cyclist. And I'm sure you've experienced some of that already, especially in the virtual World Time Trial Championships racing with ultra cyclists from all around the world. And that's some of the fun of ultra cycling. Now, a lot of other great photos that we've already seen. Of course, here's one when you're at the NCOM 375. Here's one also when you were doing the virtual World Time Trial Championships. We didn't discuss this one, and there's one other last one I saw as well. Tell me a little bit about this photo. I see a bunch of different people we haven't seen yet and wearing some interesting clothing here with some slogans yeah. and words on there. So Forgotten Not Gone is actually a nonprofit that I am trying to help champion. You see the two co-founders co there, husband and wife, Peter on the right and Kelly on the left. Um, that's actually the mayor of Henderson. That's the little suburb of Las Vegas that I live in. Um, so they basically both uh, retired Air Force veterans. And they, just like myself, spent a lot of time trying to figure out what is successful, especially in how do I handle mental health, physical disabilities, etc. cetera. Um, and originally, you know, say 10 years ago, when people were getting out of the military, they had mental health issues or physical health issues. A lot of them were just given a lot of opioids and in potentially even booked in, you know, permanent um, kind of inpatient healthcare facilities. And they were um, along those, they were part of that problem, if you will. And we weren't successful at integrating veterans back into society. And so they started a nonprofit in dealing with that and their prof their nonprofit is pushing trikes and so they you know people meet up we ride as a group um we've ridden with you know our senator uh, i rode with the senator from here in nevada in my uh, district um and it, they are very well connected politically uh, but at the same time you know they want people to know that especially veterans you may feel forgotten but you are not gone. And so that I met them five days after I left active duty and I will never forget that. Um, I was in a very, very bad spot mentally. I didn't, I was just kind of felt like I was drowning. Didn't know, you know, what I could do. Um, I was at that point, I hadn't even done the soldier ride. 
And I was very excited to at least attempt to be physically active in something that didn't cause more pain than I was already in. And uh, I was also just excited to see veterans in the in my community that were out being successful and helping champion and be honest about the different struggles and problems that, you know, we all face. And so they are, you know, people that I will always, you know, make sure that I bring up um, and I have their logo on the opposite side of my Captain America shield to ensure that that's somebody that is always going to get some face time and some screen time when inevitably everyone generally wants to take a picture of my trike because it's, looks different than everybody else's. And, you know, I I try to make it as race ready as possible, um, especially coming from a triathlon background. I know that every, you know, little carbon thing and every aerodynamic advantage helps. And so I I want that to be something that I can help move, move the the ball in the right direction and, and drive awareness to them. Yeah, that's, that's really great what you're doing. And of course, we could see on the disc here, top right of it, uh, the logo forgotten, but not gone. Yep. yep. They're there. Uh, my bike shop pro cyclery, they've done great support. Wounded warrior project has helped me. Even my home office, as I explained to them what I was doing American national as I'm an insurance agent, uh, for them and, and we're all independent. So, I mean, I don't clock in or clock out. Um, but I, I explained to basically the head of marketing, what I plan on doing and they, very much rallied behind me and cut me a check and said, we absolutely are going to support this process. And uh, so it's, it's very nice to have people understanding the vision of what we're doing, but also realize at the end of the day, you know, we're all human and we're trying to, you know, just continue to bring awareness and, and kindness uh, across the board. So. Yeah. It's great that you're using cycling as a platform for good as as many do and it is amazing what you are able to accomplish uh, as you just simply tell your story and live out some of your passion as an athlete as a cyclist and of course you're sharing that with your own family and that's that's been uh, great for them you can all do that together of course we showed those photos earlier where you were you know uh, also helping the the neighborhood kids as well so a really big deal so you're really touching many lives on a variety of levels and it's, uh, it's a great story. Now, one final photo we have here. Tell me about this one. So this was uh, Bo Bikes Bama. Um, and Bo Jackson actually does a cool event. Again, I lived in Georgia for about three years. This is my old training partner, Greg Kubrick, who's also an ultra cyclist and Ironman athlete. Um, so I'm going to do the ride across Georgia with him uh, here Memorial Day weekend. And our goal is to actually break his old team's uh, relay record they're going, it's 277 miles and our goal is under 12 and a half hours. Um, but at that event, we actually, we met Brett Favre, um, who rides there a lot. Sometimes Lance even shows up and then Bo Jackson also rides that event and he is raising money to help the Alabama Emergency Relief Foundation. Again, it's nice to be able to, uh, you know, just kind of support other people through cycling. And, and there was a lot of people that showed up for that event um, and it's on the Auburn campus. So it, it's cool to see that kind of really no matter where you're ever, wherever you're at in whatever state you're in, there's always something that usually cyclists want to help be a part of and, and make a positive change. Yep. We're definitely on the same wavelength. Of course, Christoph Strasser had interviewed me episode 50 and I've shared some of my story in supporting 
in that story, one nonprofit, but through my career as an ultra cyclist, many nonprofits. And I think that's one of the reasons I love uh, cycling as well, not only improving myself, but also improving my local communities and quite frankly, the world. And so well done. And I really congratulate you on all that you're doing, Caleb. Very exciting. Now, ultra cycling requires certain attributes that, you know, often may be overlooked or not even realized. So I'm curious to know from you, now that you're an ultra cyclist, have participated in a variety of events, have gotten a bunch of experience. What do you think most people don't realize about the sport of ultra cycling, whether it's a non-cyclist or just a non-ultra cyclist? I think people, we go back to people handicapping themselves. I've, I've watched people quit on races, weather's bad, um, things along those lines. You, you really don't know, I think, what you're capable of until you get to that point where you're at that breaking point. Uh, and for me, you know, it was the mechanical failure. Um, and what, what was my choice? Was I going to throw in the towel? and say, I'm done and get in the vehicle at 175 miles. Uh, oh, by the way, it was raining outside, um, thunderstorms, etc. And I watched people that people came from France to race the 508 and quit because the weather was bad saying, we're not heroes. We're not here to do this. Uh, we're, we quit. And they threw their timer chip um, at the people at the um, checkpoint and got in their vehicle and left. And and I was honestly, I was shocked, obviously, the, the amount of money and time that it takes to train for something like this uh, and the commitment to fly from another country and then to just kind of throw in the towel. Um, you really don't know what you're made of, you know, until the rubber meets the road. And so for me, it was a, this is a great path for me to remind myself, like, yeah, I'm not physically able to, you know, lead troops into combat and things along those lines. But that doesn't mean that my edge and my hardness is gone. I've just got to find a new outlet for it. Um, and it's funny when people tell me, you know, man, my legs hurt after riding two miles or whatever. And you rode 375 miles in 24 hours. Like, that's insane. I'm like, yeah, well, that's certified by the VA. That's fine. So I, I'm just going to embrace it. Uh, and it is what it is. Um, but again, having people push themselves to new limits um, and realizing that, you know, things are achievable if they desire to do it. It for me has been very rewarding and to watch other people do that and to hear other people's stories. Uh, it's cool to be amongst uh, a group of like-minded individuals when, again, I, I don't think the society necessarily, it doesn't reward this it almost ostracizes and isolates people like us not just cyclists, but anybody who's at, at a high level of, of anything, because it's easier for somebody to criticize behind a, a phone or a camera or, or what have you. And instead of going out and attempting to do things about it and realizing, man, you know, this is really difficult. This requires a lot of discipline. There's a lot of training, science, et cetera, behind whatever your sport is, especially if you look at any of the greats, you know, LeBron James, Tom Brady, Michael Jordan, Michael Phelps, Christoph Strasser, like the amount of effort and dedication it takes to be successful at an elite level is, you know, so hard to find. And it's easier for people to armchair quarterback and criticize or you guys are crazy. I don't want to do this. 
um, great, then don't do it. Um, but you're absolutely capable of doing so, uh, or at least being more capable than what you currently are doing. And so that's something that I think is, it's opened my eyes um, as something that I thought would be a little bit easier. Um, but I've, again, I've gained a respect for what I'm doing um, as I'm learning. I don't know what I don't know. And I will happily admit that I am very new to this and I'm happy to listen. You know, I'm going to start incorporating some liquid stuff just because you and Christoph seem to be doing well with it. Uh, and I, I'd like to try it and see maybe if that works better for me. So there's always new things to learn and uh, I'm looking forward to the journey. Yeah, that's part of the fun of it. There's so much to learn, so many ways to strategize, different events, different challenges. And uh, yeah, it, it, you know, never, never, it never is boring when it comes to ultra cycling. When it comes to liquid hydration, of course, uh, definitely try it out in training first. And there's many products out there. Just find the one that's palatable for you, that sits well for you. But you know, for me, I've always kind of had a, a pretty good stomach. I know many cyclists, you know, uh, varying uh, degrees of discomfort and, and issues when it comes to food and eating and hydration. But I think there's always a product out there for, for everyone. And on the show, I would say probably the majority, 60, 70% of, of ultra cyclists that we've interviewed on the show have used uh, liquid hydration and nutrition in some form or another. Of course, when you get into the multi-day events, you may have to change it up and have some solids here and there and just figure out what works for you. But of course, it sounds like you've already done a lot of that and you have a lot of experience with some longer distances as well. But um, I think it just checks the box in a lot of ways. It's convenient. It's fast. You know, you get a lot of uh, packed in a, in a small volume. So, uh, you know, on those kind of notes, you know, when it comes to like tips and tricks, what are some tips and tricks that you have, maybe one or two, that you would want to share for others who would like to get started with ultra cycling? I would say focus on what you can control. Um, it, you know, you don't have to go out and buy the most expensive bike because um, I've seen plenty of people with expensive bikes fail. And, and that's where, yeah. you know, things along those lines as you continue to get in involved in, in whatever sport it is, but uh, especially in cycling as along with golf, I think people think the more money I spend, the faster I will be. And I think there's some truth to that. Um, but I also think that you have to know how to use your equipment. And if you can't maximize what you have already, you know, you, you can go out and, and ride, you know, a regular, bike, um, for as, as long as you so desire. Um, there's people that do the 508 on a fixed gear bike. That's their own category. Uh, personally, I, I call those people crazy. I think that they have, uh, they have my utmost respect. I can't imagine, um, climbing over 20,000 feet uh, and doing 500 miles on a fixed gear bicycle. Um, so, you know, just really get out, try stuff, sign up for an event. And, and also, you know, my personality, I don't do well with just kind of putting my toe in the water. I, I dive in head first. And, and that's something that my wife and, and my, my best friends have, have always kind of laughed about is like, Oh, what's he getting into now? And how much is it going to cost? Um, so, but for me, you know, looking back, um, I would say also find a good mentor, somebody who's done it before and, and can at least advise um, 
you know, obviously you're going to try different things and figure things out. I know, you know, not everybody has a coach. You did a lot of your own coaching. And for a short time, I did a lot of my own coaching as well, just to kind of see what I could do. Um, but then I realized I, I probably surpassed my ability level and I need to leave this up to somebody who's got more experience. And so, you know, I think also knowing when to, to back off, um, this is something where pride and ego can easily get you hurt, uh, especially in, in the more extreme challenges. And so having somebody, as my coach says, once you toe the line and cross the start line, you are now the big dumb athlete that you just have to pedal your bike and you stop making decisions. You are not in charge, um, which is hard for me because that's not how I'm wired, especially, uh, being the, the infantry officer, I'm, I'm still trying to make decisions while I'm on the road and, and things along those lines. Uh, and, and I'm working on changing that. So, you know, having somebody that I trust experience wise, et cetera, um, it, it's quite the process. Obviously this takes a village to get somebody across the finish line. Uh, and in my opinion, I think it's going to be harder to be on a crew than it is to cycle. Um, I'm, very much looking forward to learning about the crew side when I go crew from my close friend who's about to set the the 24 hour record in Borrego and um, you know seeing what that's like to be a crew chief and make sure that for him he gets to have have the best race possible for himself um, and try to anticipate problems you know things along those lines um, it that's going to be a, an interesting viewpoint to see it not behind uh, the the pedals so yeah very true so many aspects to ultra cycling but thanks for giving those great tips and tricks and advice for those are looking to get into ultra cycling i think they're very important ones two final questions that i have caleb for you as we conclude this great conversation that we've had and i look forward to having you back for another sprint round for your upcoming events but you were talking about knowing your equipment and knowing your gear. So just curious, how would you rate yourself in terms of bicycle maintenance on a scale of one to 10, 10 being exceptional? <laughs> I'd be lying if I said I was anything over two or three. Um, I, I can handle, you know, I ride with, uh, in training, I ride with saddlebags that have, you know, tubes, tires, things like that. I can, I can fix what I would call kind of an immediate action um, issue that will get me back on the road that will at least get me home or get me to the bike shop. But anything that requires some mechanical knowledge, um, I am eager to learn. And so, um, what my, my crew has done for me, um, in terms of, you know, for example, rich from great basin bicycles, he saved my ass literally, you know, he stopped his race and, uh, and they were in, in the, the heat of a moment to stop his relay race all four of the racers got out of their van took his own tools and things and fixed my bike so that i could attempt to just go even another mile um i quickly realized one i mean i was blown away uh but two also you know i i need to step up my game um and so i for these next larger events i'll definitely have somebody with some knowledge um, experience and I'll have the tools on hand to solve problems because I think you and I both know Murphy's law, anything that can go wrong will go wrong. Um, and I had just had my bike service before I was out, you know, at that race. And, you know, obviously I 
damn near snapped my chain, broke my rear derailleur, et cetera. So, you know, things like that, um, you can't always fix it on the spot, but you can figure out a new, another way to keep moving forward. Um, so I'm looking to potentially get involved with some of these online courses, uh, through the different bike manufacturers or the, the bike, um, specialty manufacturers, like whether that be Shimano or, uh, or ETAP or, or whatever. So I can learn how the process actually works and if I need to fix something myself, you know, I want to become more self-reliant just in the off chance that I have to be the one turning the rich. Mm. Yeah, it's good that you have that interest to do so and having the knowledge to get somebody on your crew who has some experience there to help. It makes a big difference. Okay, final question I have for you, Caleb. You've mentioned a number of athletes and people already during our conversation here today. So I'm wondering who would you want to nominate for a future episode on this show? A story that has inspired you? I, I can think of four people offhand. Uh, Andre, for sure. I want to hear his story. Uh, again, I haven't met him in person, but I think being the first to do anything and then at that extreme of uh, doing it on a hand cycle, that, that's a story that should be told. Uh, Matt Hoffman, my coach, amazing athlete, amazing person all around. I think he's got a lot of wisdom and experience that can help other people. Same thing with Rob Panzera, his crew chief and the 508 uh, race director. He's helped me a lot, uh, and I think that he would be great uh, in terms of words of wisdom and experience level and, and seeing things from another perspective. He's a cyclist himself. Um, I'm not sure in the ultra category, but for example, when I was doing the 24 hour race, he jokingly did three workouts during that different time frame uh, because he knew that I was pedaling for 24 hours and um, he thought that he better get some, some, some seat time. Uh, and then lastly would be my friend, Mark Whitehouse, Navy veteran. Um, the only other recumbent tricyclist that does things at the ultra level that I know. And uh, as he goes out to set this world record at Borrego uh, and then, you know, as he very much an ambassador for us tricyclists to be involved in the UCI regulations, Paralympics, et cetera. Um, oh, by the way, he's twice my age and still out getting after it in his, in his um, low fifties, um, very much physic more physically damaged than myself. And uh, you know, still, not letting things hold him back. Um, he's got quite the life story and experiences, and I think that he would have a, a lot to add. Yeah, sounds like it, Caleb. Thanks for those nominations. Looking forward to hearing all of those stories and many more. But thank you for sharing your story. I know there's much more there that we haven't even covered yet, but I'm sure you'll be able to tell those stories as you continue adventuring forward. And thank you again for your service to the country. Any final words that you'd like to give to the audience, perhaps your family, your friends, or anybody else? Uh, I, I appreciate support. I've had nobody turns me away. Um, if I've also learned that in these events that I haven't finished, if I would have finished, I wouldn't have had the support that I now have. So, in, in a lot of ways, you know, I'm thankful for the the DNF or the did not complete, did not finish, because people realized obviously he's driven, uh, but he probably needs a little bit of guidance. And so, I mean, having people just come out of the woodworks to ensure my success, uh, including my family and 
you know, when I did the 24 hour time trials, my wife and kids basically vacated the house for the weekend so that I could do what I needed to do to ensure my success. Uh, and my crew chief, probably the person who believes in me the most, uh, Shane Walsh, big shout out to him in driving behind me and driving thousands of miles across the country to make sure that he was ready as an extreme driver or an ultra driver, if you will. Um, and you know, it, the, the support doesn't go unnoticed. I very much appreciate it as I know I have time away from other things that are important. Um, but life is all a balancing act. So. Mm. Yeah. Thanks, Caleb. Looking forward to having you back on the show again, but thanks again for taking the time to chat with me and, Everyone watching at home, I hope you found some inspiration in this episode today. And hopefully you'll be able to use some of the advice that Caleb has given to find a way forward in your own life, not using challenges to stop you from going the distance in life or on the road. And we look forward to hearing your story and seeing what Caleb has inspired you to do. So we're looking forward to that. But until next time and next episode, everyone keep spinning ultra. Ultra.